Heavenly Father, we come with so many things on our hearts, so many matters on our minds. God, clear those aside because you are all we want. You are all that we've ever needed. And so as we draw near to you, draw near to us. Come near to us through your word, by your spirit. Teach us and show us. Open your word to us. Open our hearts to you. Let's sing that one more time. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to meet your people in the times of worship, to inhabit the praises of your people. God, we welcome you and give thanks. Teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. What a blessing it is to worship and to join our voices and our hearts and our minds. And uh, I know that uh, many of us are in prayer for this weekend, uh, for the, the retreat that's going on in Nor- North Florida. We're hearing great things that uh, young people have come to know Jesus for the first time, and we're very, very blessed in that. And uh, we're just praying for safe journeys and safe travels home uh, today. So please continue to be in prayer. Our series is called Kingdom Culture, and we've been uh, digging into the Sermon of Sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, in this first section. Uh, We've been on the same 10 verses now for seven weeks, and so we've looked at it from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, In the electronic notes, I've included uh, a chart that looks like this. It's a Bible translation comparison. There's 15 different translations up there. And you can kind of see where they range. The ones over to the left are those that are most literally word for word. The ones over to the right are those that are paraphrased. And they're not as much word for word, but they bring thought for thought and they bring us the thoughts of the scripture. And it's just a good thing. People ask me all the time, which, which Bible should I buy? And it really depends on what you want to do. What is the purpose? Oh, buy them all. Yeah. I've got like 40 on my computer. And so, and I, and some of them I never look at, but some of them I use a, a lot of the time. So I thought we would do something a little different today. You're supposed to chuckle when I say that because we all, we're always doing something a little different. But I, I want to do a little bit of comparison here first. But looking at these 10 verses, there are 109 verses in the original Greek in those 10 verses. 109 words of, of original Greek. Now, how did I find that out? I counted them. <laughs> it was the only way. But because I had to literally go through the Greek and count them. But just so you'll know some of the comparison in the ESV version, which we use, there are 138 words in the 10 verses. That's 29 more. You know, so some people say, well, you know, you're not supposed to add or subtract anything from the word of God. In translation, it's going to be more words. It simply is. Say, yes, Pastor Jeff. Okay, that's the truth. 
the New King James, the same number, 138. The King James Version, 143 words. I don't know what five are added in there uh, or the difference there. The New American Standard, 144 words. Those are all pretty much word-for-word translations. And then you get into some of the other paraphrases. The Living Bible has 152 words. It is a paraphrase. Paraphrase means it's taken and then put into our own words. An author uh, like Eugene Peterson has paraphrased. Uh, And then uh, the New Living Translation, uh, 166 words. We're really getting up there. That's a thought-for-thought translation. There are more words there. And then the Passion Translation, which has come out in the past couple of years, it's very popular, 194 words, it's a paraphrase translation. And then the Message Bible comes in at a whopping 267 words. Yeah, that's a whole lot of words. (laughs) So it has a lot of words to convey the same thoughts, the same truth, the Word of God brought from a different perspective in a different way. That's 93% more uh, than uh, the ESV. Very interesting, say, very interesting, Pastor Jeff. I'm glad you told us that. (laughs) Um, I found a translation uh, I've seen for a while. Uh, It's called the God's Word Translation. I like the name. It was actually born, it was released the year that our church was founded, so I kind of like that. That was kind of neat. But it's called a Dynamic Equivalent Translation, and I want to read from it today. It it was uh, translated by missionary translators who had gone to these indigenous cultures that don't have any Bible at all and sought to translate the Word of God to people who have never heard anything. Because a lot of times when we're translating into English, we say, well, it's always sounded this way, it's always had this ring to it, and so they'll follow along that way. But this is called a dynamic equivalent. It was translated into English for English-speaking culture as if... We'd never heard it before, and I think it's kind of interesting that way. Very, very close to the original Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. So let's hear God's word uh, as we hear it. Matthew chapter 5, the same verses, uh, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's approval. They will be satisfied. Blessed are those who show mercy. They will be treated mercifully. Blessed are those whose thoughts are pure. They will see God. Blessed are those who make peace, they will be called God's children. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what God approves of. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, lie, and say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad Because you have a great reward in heaven. The prophets who lived before you were persecuted in these ways. Now let's stand and let's thank God for God's word. Father, I thank you for translators. I thank you for those who love your word 
so much that they seek to carefully bring it across the ages. I thank you for those who bring us paraphrase, who give us a different perspective, who help us to understand what the word says in our culture, in our time. God, we thank you for these different perspectives, but most of all, we thank you for your word brought to us so that we might study and we might grow and we might be enriched and we might be challenged. We thank you that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword and we pray that when we need it, you would be ready by your spirit to do surgery upon us. Remove the things that should not be in our lives, in our hearts. And Lord, heal us, make us whole by the hearing of your word. Most of all, May we come to faith by the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I've been approaching these eight blessings that we call the Beatitudes. So familiar, very familiar uh, to us as church people. We've heard these things, many of us have heard them many, many times all of our lives But I've kind of framed it differently uh, and talked about the Beatitudes as rocket science, the rocket science of the kingdom and the elements of a launch that that as believers, we get launched. We're on a mission and it's the same word as missile uh, in in terms of the Latin and and the Greek. And we've talked about that in terms of these Beatitudes and it begins with ignition and there's a launch, no launch can go without ignition. It just is not going to go anywhere. And it starts with that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It all starts when by the spirit, we are aware we desperately need God. We are impoverished without God. That's the igniting point. Then we have fuel. We, we related that to the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that word for comforter is one of the words for Holy Spirit, the paraclete. That in our times of loss, in our times of mourning, Holy Spirit comes alongside us. Holy Spirit actually rushes into the hurting places, into the wounds of our life. And it's there that we are fueled for what God has ahead. He fuels us in different ways, in different places, but it's in the places of mourning that we gain Holy Spirit connection. The third part of our launch is thrust. And and that's in that third beatitude, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus took the world and changed history through meekness. The most powerful uh, entities of, of the whole universe were in this man who was walking around and yet he chose not to destroy the people who were against him. Instead with meekness, he laid down his life. And so it's by meekness that the meek shall inherit, shall take the earth. And then we started talking about trajectory. Once you're launched, you got to know where you're going. That's what trajectory is all about. It's the plan. God has a plan. Aren't you glad that God has a plan for your life? Say amen. Yeah. God has a plan. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the plans. God's talking. I know the plans I have for your life. And they are plans not for disaster, not for harm, but plans to give you a future filled with hope. That's the God's word translation. We're looking at it a little bit differently. So you have a trajectory. Well, what is it? And trajectory is set. It's defined by four things. Our position, our momentum, our path, and our purpose. A launch is like that. 
Uh, where is the missile and what is the momentum of the missile? What is the path of the missile and what is the purpose? What is its mission? Where is it supposed to be going? Our position for us as believers is in Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Being right in Christ, clothed with his righteousness is our position. Our momentum is mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They receive more and more mercy. It's a marvelous thing. You can't get any more grace, but you can get more mercy. And so as we are extending the grace and the mercy of God, we gain more mercy and we have more mercy to extend and continue to extend. Isn't that marvelous? And that is the building of momentum in in, in our Christian life. Our path is in this next one. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's a pure path. It's a singleness of purpose. They shall see God. And finally, we come to, well, what is the purpose? And it's this seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So what is the purpose of the mission? Every time you hear about a launch, they're going to tell you about the purpose of the mission. They don't just shoot up rockets to say, isn't that cool? <laughs> no, 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 no. Every, every launch has a specific mission, right? I mean, even at the very beginning, the, at the beginning, the launch was, uh, the purpose of the mission was just to get up and come back safely. Well, let's see if we can do this. And then a little further, well, let's see if we can put uh, uh, an entity into orbit. Let's see if we can put a human into orbit. And then eventually we were to missions like, we're going to go land on the moon. First we'll go in circle and then we'll go land on the moon. And, and all, all of them have a mission. So there's a mission and that defines our trajectory. So the question is, what does God want to accomplish at the end of my life, at the end of my life mission? You know, it's interesting. I I love this verse, Ephesians 2.10, because it comes after Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Uh, 2.8 and 9 say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, so no one can boast. It is the free gift of God. And then right after that, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created to do good works. They don't save us. But we are created to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, before you were ever born, God had a plan. He had specific good works that he wanted you and only you to do. There are specific situations that you and only you will encounter. There are specific times in which you and only you will be there to extend mercy, to extend grace, to extend the love of Jesus. And he has that planned out. So this is part of the the life plan and trajectory that he has for you and for me. Yeah, I don't know about you, but if there's a list, I want to make sure when I get there that I've made most of the list. (laughs) That would be my prayer. Specific tasks. So we're going to be talking about this purpose and this mission Uh, That he has planned for us. So let's back up a little bit and start with the mission of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus's mission to planet earth was peace. We find it at the very beginning of the gospel and also way back in in Isaiah and the prophecies about the coming of Messiah. 
Isaiah 9, 6, we're almost to the season when we start reading these passages. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace. This is the mission. Uh, This is the purpose. This is the purpose for which he came. Luke chapter 2, at the birth of Jesus, fulfilling that prophecy. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. That means a whole lot of angels. (laughs) uh, Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what? Peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. He came to declare peace. Now, now we might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. I thought Jesus came to save me. I thought that was his mission. Am I, am I confused here? That's what we're talking about. You being saved is a mission of peace. It's an accomplishment of peace. When Jesus came, he, he came to declare peace where before there had been antagonism and war. There had been a separation between humanity and God. Romans 5 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to declare that you're... Aren't you glad that you are at peace with God? If you receive this truth and trust it by faith. Jesus said this in John 14, near the end of his earthly ministry, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't be so worried. Don't be so afraid. I'm leaving peace with you. Not a little bit. I'm giving a peace that's like no peace that's out there in the world. The world can't give you the kind of peace that Jesus gives. So really the whole Bible is about this mission of peace. Peace is mentioned 250 times in the Bible, 98 times in the New Testament. That's a lot by comparison. So this is a central theme. Of course, the love of God is a central theme, but it's to bring peace between us and God. It's also in the central blessing of Judaism. It's about peace. Numbers chapter 6, it's called the Aaronic blessing. It was the blessing given by the high priest. He would hold his hands in a special way, and he would uh, express this Blessing, the Lord bless you. Why don't we read it out loud together? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I know some are thinking, that that goes back to the Old Testament. I thought that was that cool song that came out two years ago. (laughs) Well, it's a lot older than that. You might think, isn't that the blessing that we say in youth group? Yeah, it is, but it's a lot older than that. And that peace, to give you peace, is the Hebrew word shalom. Peace is shalom. The Hebrew word, say that with me, shalom. And shalom means, it's a greeting that's commonly given. They'll just say shalom. And it means be safe, well, and happy. It's, it's more than hello. It, it's, like, it's like a blessing that's given uh, at a farewell or a greeting. But it's bigger than that. It also means a a, a blessing of prosperity, peace, health, and favor. It's rooted in the word shalem. Say that with me. Shalem. 
That's a Hebrew word that means to be completed, made safe, be compensated, to make whole, to make amends. You know, so many times we're kind of looking for some justice in this world. Shalom is this goal in all of history that Jesus is seeking to accomplish in our world and in our lives where everything's going to be made right. Sometimes I scratch my head and I say, I, that's a very big goal. And I don't know, it's very difficult, but that's what the blessing is about. Shalem, this making of amends, making everything right. The New Testament word is a Greek word, erene. Let's say that together, erene. And that's the Greek word. It's the primary word. It means to join together, to be one, uh, to have quietness and rest. Um, if your name is Irene, this is the same name. Is anybody here named Irene? Okay, I don't know many Irenes, but uh, the name Irene means the peace of God. In, in, in case you didn't know, the name Jeff or Jeffrey means the peace of God as well. It's from a Germanic origin, but that, it's the same thing, the peace of God. I'm glad to know that. Uh, but th this is what we're talking about, shalom, and then the equivalent in the Greek is erene. And the work of Jesus has been to make this peace come about, to make this peace available. And that peace is expressed into our lives uh, between us, peace between us and God, and also peace between us and others, other people, and also peace within ourselves. Now, and all of those are important. I mean, some of us would like just a little peace time in a, in a day. <laughs> but this is talking about all of those goals. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Surprise. <laughs> but take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's, that's what Jesus says. This is what I've come to do. I, I've come to bring peace to you. How many of you want that peace? Yeah. And um, in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul expresses it this way. He says, I'm going to try to read this carefully. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace some of the time. Did I mess that up? Okay, let's start over again. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Peace most of the time in, no? Okay. But why don't we read it out loud together, okay? Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace all, all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. As the Lord is with us, he gives us peace. But there's more. Just wait, there's more. He also gives us a ministry of peace. Some of my favorite passages of, of Scripture are in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is, I, I call it my ordination Scripture. When I was ordained, I had my hand on this Scripture. It's, you know, I guess I call it a life Scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that good news? But there's more. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. It's what he's given to us. That is, he describes it, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's our message. That's what we're to be about. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message. It's a peacemaker message. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Wow, that's powerful. We are ambassadors for Christ. And as ambassadors of Christ, we are to be peacemakers. The word reconciliation in that passage, it's the word katalage. Well, let's say that, katalage. It means to make adjustment or restoration. It, it's an image like setting a bone. That's a little painful sometimes, isn't it? Reconciliation is a little painful sometimes. I've never been there when, when a bone was set. Uh, some of you have. Uh, I always admire Pastor Ann because when she would be out on the ski trips, every once in a while there would be a break. And I remember she had to go to the hospital with one boy. I still remember the boy. And she was there when the bone was being set. And she said it was excruciating <laughs> for me, for her. Really, really hard. It can be very painful at times to make adjustment, to make restoration. The root word means to change mutually and make a compound difference. I mean, a compound fracture requires a compound difference, doesn't it? A bringing together, a giving. So reconciliation is not a matter of you're going to get with me. And, and align with my side of things. That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is a movement from two sides. And that is what peacemaking is about. God gave a lot in order to be reconciled to humanity. And so we're called to give a lot in order to be reconciled to others. So what I want to suggest to you in this message is that our prime directive as believers is this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, what is a prime directive? A lot of you know what that is from Star Trek. Um, and by the way, I learned in Star Trek, they violate the prime directive all the time, <laughs> quite regularly. But for us, it means above all else, we're called to a whole lot of things. But above all else, this is our goal. So peacemaking is not something for just some people that are kind of into that thing. The warm and fuzzy people who like to get with folks and counsel or something like that. No, it is in certain times, in certain places, going to be our mission to be peacemakers so that we're called children of God. Children of God. Now, the scripture says uh, sons of God. Why? Why sons of God? Why does it say that? And not children of God. A lot of translations uh, just kind of adjust it a little bit and say uh, children of God. And we might even argue, you know, John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, I think there's a reason why it says sons of God. Because he could have said children of God. And the reason I, I believe is that in the first century, only males could inherit. And so it was a big deal. It, this wasn't heard by women as an insult. It was heard as, as a victory, as a liberation. You will be called sons of God. That meant not a gender issue. It meant you will be called inheritors, heirs of the kingdom. How many of you want that? Nod your heads, come on. <laughs> Say amen. And we, want, we all want that. And that's what this is talking about. It's not talking about gender in, in any way. We're called to be inheritors regardless of gender, gender. And when we are peacemakers, that is our inheritance. So what is a peacemaker? What is that? Because he, he says peacemakers, but he doesn't define it directly. There's other places in scripture. I'm going to refer to an author named Ken Sandy. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote the book, The Book, The Peacemaker. Uh, and it's a marvelous book. He's written a number of books. But this is sort of the granddaddy guru of, of peacemaking. I mean, he's thought and written more about peacemaking than I could ever imagine. And so I'm going to refer to him because I don't see a need to reinvent the wheel. It's all scriptural. It's all biblical. And biblical peacemaking, we need to understand, is different from secular conflict resolution. The tools that are used in conflict resolution, are, they're good. But they're not the same as biblical peacemaking. So we need to understand that. We, don't you want what the Bible has to say? Isn't what the Bible has to say better? Yeah. Ken Sandy defines a peacemaker in this way. Now, it's a big definition, but it's marvelous. Listen, and, and, and you can see this as, as I read along. Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. Just, that means they take in grace and they exhale grace. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ. And then they bring his love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. God delights to breathe his grace through peacemakers and use them to dissipate anger, improve understanding, promote justice, encourage repentance, and reconciliation. That's a marvelous definition. And there are people that this is sort of their gifting. They have, they have a cluster of gifts that draw them toward this. They're the ones who most easily move into a situation and, and they see the opportunity and they begin to pray for a, a way in which they might be peacemakers. But I believe this is what every one of us is called to. Every one of us is called to be a peacemaker. Ken Sandy begins exploring this with a question and it's a really it's a it's an internal question it's not like looking around at different people but he asks this question in times of conflict are you a peace breaker a peace faker or a peacemaker and then he opens that up a peace breaker is the one who's on attack they're the one it's the fight or flight and they're ready to fight right away 
Their goal is to win at all costs. Uh, they must win to be okay. And I don't know about you, but as I, as I meditate and as I ponder things, I can remember times when I was a, a peace breaker. I was, ready, I was ready for the fight. I was ready to, to jump in. Uh, and, and God's worked on me a lot. I pray he's still working on me a lot. Peace breakers are prideful and power-minded. Winning is what it's all about. And, and if they don't get their way, they blow up. Uh, the peace breaker does. They often will gather support by gossiping to other people, get, get a, a kind of a rally going around them. Um, and, and peace breakers, they, they use finger pointing and accusation and things such as this. Uh, even the threat of slander or I'm going to sue you and these kinds of things. Instead of seeking to make peace. The peace faker is the avoidance response. It's the flight option. And the goal is to escape at all costs. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, oh, I don't like conflict. And I'm like, does anybody? I mean, I guess there are some people that just love conflict, but I'm not one of them. And I think most people are not. But this is a response that says, I'm going to escape. I'm going to get away at all costs. I'm not willing to in any way address what's going on, uh, the possibility that I might have done something that was involved in this conflict. I don't want to deal with that. There's no problem here. I'm just going to go away. Don't, don't bring this up anymore. It's a sort of denial response. And, and sometimes a peace faker, if they're uh, kind of pinned in the corner, will move back to the fight mode. But peace fakers, uh, Sandy says, can be skilled at sniping from the bushes. The cold shoulder, the subtle remark, the hurting humor, the snide comment. Uh, that everything's fine. How many of you know that means not, not, it's not fine? <laughs> and so peace fakers can sometimes be passive. We call it passive aggressive. They lash out through abandonment. Oh, I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. And then... They're not there. And there's a, a passive aggressive response. So then he, he begins to explore, but what is the biblical peacemaker? The peacemaker engages in, in the conflict with love and humility, just approaches it differently, doesn't run away, doesn't come into fight. And the target is relationship. That relationship is more important than really most of these issues. It's not that the issues are, are unimportant, but relationship is more important. So the goal is reconciliation. The goal is erene. The goal is shalom. And so the peacemaker understands that, that actually things can get worse before they get better. How many of you know that? You enter in and you try and you pray and you try. And sometimes things get worse before they get better. But shalom will be worth it once, once we get there. So the peacemaking heart, it's a heart changed by, by God, says my passion is to defeat the problem, not you. And to restore and to deepen this relationship. So peacemakers often see conflict as an assignment, not an accident. I mean, it's a hard perspective, but to say this conflict is actually a good thing because we're going to be stronger once we get through it. And it's an assignment for us to deal with. Peacemakers are going to seek the wisdom of God about the situation. You know, it's so important. There's the, there's the one side is right, the other side is right, and then there's the wisdom of God. 
And, and that's what we want to seek because most of the time, that's where peace is found. That's where reconciliation is found. Uh, James 3 says, but the wisdom of God, the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That means able to step back and say, maybe I'm not seeing this whole thing. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wow. I mean, that's powerful. Wisdom is about what God wants. Do you ever just stop and say, what does God want out of this conflict? What does God want out of this situation? It seems untenable. It seems unsolvable. But God surely wants a victory to come out of this. And what is right? What is righteous? Ken Sandy, he suggests that even the most difficult issues can often be resolved constructively when one person decides to breathe grace in the midst of conflict. We often say, well, if they would come around, well, then I would come around. And it doesn't work that way. Praise God that he didn't say, well, I'm going to wait for y'all to get your act together. Yeah. No, he came to breathe grace upon us. And so it, when one person decides, I'm going to breathe grace, and I don't know where this will go, but I'm going to breathe grace into this situation. And it's so very important because conflict robs businesses, robs uh, schools, robs churches of so very much. Conflict can destroy our Christian witness. People look and they say, you know, I, I like the words coming from your mouth, but when I see the conflict between some of you, I don't want to come near that. And so it's a, an important thing. It's, you know, studies have shown it's one of the top reasons people leave a church is because of a conflict in the church. It wasn't over doctrine. It wasn't over what they believe. It wasn't even over worship styles. It was a conflict. Might have been about some of those things. So peacemaking is critical. Conflict is also a place where God grows us. Ken Sandy says that conflict is one of the many tools that God will use to help you develop a more Christ-like character. Now we might say, why would God, would he want conflict in my life? Would he want, he will use conflict around you. He will do that. You remember, we've talked a lot about how the fruit of the spirit, God will bring a person into your life, fruit of the spirit, love. God will bring someone that's difficult to love. There's the easy people, right? People that are easy to love. No, it's going to be someone that's really kind of hard to love that will teach you and build in you the love of Christ. Joy. God, God is going to bring some situations into your life that are not so easy to be joyful. Not so easy to celebrate. Some tough things. And that's where we find joy. Love, joy, peace. How is God going to develop the the fruit of peace in your life, except in situations maybe around you where God calls you to come in and work with a hard situation, people that you love, and to be a peacemaker in that situation. And so God will use conflict to grow us. So how do we do that? How do we go about peacemaking? There, we could study this for months, okay? 
But I want to go over some, some godly principles um, that Ken Sandy has brought together. They're, they're biblical directives, really. They're, they're not even listed as options. Well, you might want to try this. And they're called the four G's of uh, peacemaking. And so I want to go over the four G's of peacemaking. And then you have them in your notes so we can, you can study them and read them a little bit later. The book is fantastic. And the number one is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10 says, so whether you eat or you drink or you're peacemaking or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If we set ourselves with that goal, no matter what, I'm going to seek to glorify God. This is not about me getting my way or you getting your way or, or us you know, coming to some uh, foregone conclusion. This is about glorifying God. I'm going to keep that the, the number one thing. Our first desire is to bring honor and glory to God. How can God be glorified in this situation? And, and in that, we find freedom to say, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not interested in self. I'm interested in what God wants and what will glorify him. And we really demonstrate the power of the gospel in our own lives. We, we're freed up from self-centered decisions. The second G is to get the log out of your own eye. Now that is a, a passage that we're familiar with. Um, the verse is uh, Matthew 7, 5. We'll get to it in, in a while in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. But he, just before this, he says, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, the, the small fault, but you do not see the log in your own eye? It's sort of a ridiculous image. And then Jesus uses a strong word. He says, you hypocrite. You, you remember that? You mask wearer. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take, to help take the speck out of your brother's eye. The, the way this functions is, how can I show Jesus' peacemaking work in me by taking responsibility for my part in this conflict? It's really, really important. To, how can I take care of the things that are in my own life before I approach trying to make peace in this situation? And, and really, it's amazing because when we overlook others' minor offenses we, and honestly admit our own faults, um, the other person is likely to see that response and, and there's a, a reciprocal response. It's very, very powerful. It's not meant to be a manipulation. It's just meant to say, you know, I've got a fault in this too. Uh, you know, in my decades of ministry, I've counseled hundreds of people in different situations. Many, many times marriage counseling. Many, many times uh, different conflicts. Sometimes business conflicts that have gone on. They've come to me to talk to me. And here's what I've learned. That it's never all one person's fault. That's a big statement. Because sometimes one person is a whole lot at fault. And the way I put it is, we, we always participate in our misery. We've had a participation in this. And, and we need to come to uh, realize our own faults and admit those things and bring those things. And, and it's a very powerful thing when we can do that. The third G is then to gently restore. Now, Galatians 6 is the source for this. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, 
You who are spiritual, the, the, the body is to be accountable, should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. It's not a harsh thing. And it says, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. There's a temptation to be judgmental. Or there's a temptation sometimes just to somehow enter into the conflict or enter into the sin. And sometimes that's taking sides. We, we want to get on one side. Yeah, you're right. And so the restoration must be in a gentleness and keeping watch on ourselves. Sometimes we just need to look at a situation and say, how can I lovingly serve these, these people, these others? Sometimes we see a situation where we say, I need to ask these two people to coffee and, and help be some kind of help. How can I lovingly serve by helping this other person to take responsibility? And the spirit of gentleness is going to first ask questions. So many times I see people and they come with accusation. This person did this and this person said that and it's just this harsh, harsh thing. Instead of saying, can I ask you a few questions? I mean, isn't that, I mean, it's disarming, but it also is just a wisdom to say, I don't know what's going on. Can I ask you a few questions about the situation? I understand that this happened in this way. No, it didn't happen in that way. Tell me how it happened then. It's such a powerful, powerful thing. The spirit of gentleness is going to ask questions. James chapter 1, I love this. says, know this, my beloved. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so often we're the opposite. I mean, the tendency in our world is to be quick to anger and then, and then to begin to speak and then, and then start to listen a little bit. And the word of God way, the Jesus way is the opposite of that. Listen, 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 listen. Speak, ask some questions. Be very slow to anger. Proverbs 15 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Sometimes we, we just get the idea, I'm just going to get in there, I've got to get it off my chest, I've got to tell, you know, i got to say, I've got to yell. That doesn't help. The fourth G is to go. And sometimes that's a hard one. We've got to go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution? How can we come to a solution in this conflict? Jesus actually gave two different scenarios. He says, uh, if someone sins against you, go to them. Uh, he says it in Matthew eighteen fifteen. Matthew 18 is a marvelous structure. If your brother sins against you, go to him. Tell him his fault. And then tell everybody in the Bible study and everybody around town and tell them at work. And No, he didn't say that, did he? He didn't. He said, between you and that person alone. And if he listens, you have gained your brother. And then he says, and if you need to, then, then go back with another person. Bring in an, a, another party if that's needed. Do, do not go to others. He didn't say go post on social media or anything like that. And then he also says... And if you have sinned against a person, have you ever had that happen? It comes to your mind, you know what? I messed up. I, I said the wrong thing. And you know what? I need to go. I need to go correct that. I, I reacted badly. I responded badly in that situation. 
And so uh, in Matthew 5, it's a little, just a little bit further in, in our study of um, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you remember that your brother has something against you, they rightly have something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Don't go on with just the show of worship, but go get it right. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And sometimes it can be as simple as saying, you know what, I messed up. And they'll probably nod their head and say, yeah, you messed up. And then say, I hope you'll forgive me. And it can be as simple as that to open, reopen, and regrow this relationship. Peacemaking is a commitment to restore that damaged relationship. It's not about getting your way or getting things off your chest or being the one who's right at the end of the discussion. Peacemaking, we pretty readily see, embodies forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us. We talked about that earlier in this study. Peacemaking embodies forgiving. Colossians 3 says it this way, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So what is forgiveness if we're supposed to be embodying forgiveness? The Bible never gives a a straight definition. Well, this is what it is. But we have a description. One of the best descriptions is in Psalm 103. It's a description of God and the forgiveness of God. Let me read it. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. You have a whole bunch there. Forgiveness is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He's going to let go. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, our sins. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How many of you know if you head out in two opposite directions, it goes a long, long, long way as far as the east is from the west? Are you happy for that? Praise God. So godly forgiveness is compassionate. It's gracious. It's slow to anger. Uh, It has a, a patient response. It's abounding in love. It chooses not to accuse. You know that the enemy is called the accuser. It does not harbor anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, does not seek to repay according to sin. It removes the barrier of transgression. So Ken Sandy, he comes up with a definition of forgiveness. I gave you one a couple of weeks ago that I really love. It's one that I use over and over again. But Ken Sandy says this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling, nor forgetting, nor excusing. All that's important. You might not even feel warm and fuzzy when you forgive. And it's not forgetting because we're not wired that way. And it's not excusing. It's not making an excuse. Forgiveness is a decision to make four promises. These are four biblical things that rise out of that text before. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. 
I'm going to reopen relationship. All of those are powerful and not, I don't think any of them is real easy in ourselves. That's why we need God. That's why we need his spirit. I will not dwell on this incident. I don't know about you, but that's one of the hardest ones. We start spinning the tapes and rehashing the issues and going back in our mind. I'm not going to bring this up. Again, I'm not going to have this as a, 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 a battle weapon that I'm going to bring out every once in a while and whack you with. I'm not going to talk to others about this. And I'm not going to let this stand between us. So my question here in this message is, is there an area or a relationship in which God is calling you to be a peacemaker, to make peace? It might be a situation that you know of, or it might be something at work. It might be something in the neighborhood. Might, might be something in your family, or it could be a situation where you know that you need to go and, and seek to be reconciled to a person. I know that there's this promise that's in Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Wow. Who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I want us to close with a prayer. It's, it's not printed in your notes, but uh, it's the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, and it's well known. I memorized it when I was in high school because the choir director had us singing it. Isn't that marvelous? Good reason to vote for choral programs. But it's a marvelous prayer. Uh, you may know it or be familiar with it, but I invite you to join me in praying the prayer of St. Francis. Will you join me? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Father God, I thank you for your mission of peace that you came in the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue us, to save us, and to make peace with this world and to make peace with us. Lord, may we be instruments of your peace. May we be peacemakers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. It's a perfect kind of conclusion uh, for a teaching like this. If you don't have the elements, we're, we're ready. If you just raise your hand wherever you are, if you need to receive the elements down here, any others, and we'll just wait for everybody to have the elements and have them ready. Let's just meditate upon upon the Lord and meditate upon the message of peace.
betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. God, we thank you for the great sacrifice that you took him who knew no sin and made him to somehow be sin so that we might have life. And God, we thank you for that sacrifice and we participate in that truth today with gratitude. May may we receive that peace and carry it and breathe that peace and that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. It's hard to face, but impossible to ignore. We've just never seen anything like the season we're in. Sickness has driven the level of fear in our minds and families and cities to flood stage. Loss at so many levels has draped grief over our hearts and homes like a blanket. Racial and political division threatens the very fabric of our land. Good news is hard to find these days. Joy seems buried in multiple sorrows. The toll on our families, finance, health, and happiness appears nearly incalculable. Some days, it seems so hard to see our way forward. But there is a ray of light in the darkness. The Son of Righteousness is rising with healing in His wings. All over the world, the children of God are answering the call to prayer. 
an expectation of a move of God, the outpouring of his spirit in life is spreading across a people humbled and hungry. We're beginning to believe once again that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives, release for prisoners, to declare the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. Yes, it is the Father's heart to bestow on those who love him a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. This is the passionate heartbeat behind our night of hope and healing. Through a spirit-empowered flow of worship, scripture, prayer, and communion, we at Faith Fellowship will set our hearts toward the Father's face. We're going to be part of the solution. We will be a hospital of healing. We choose to be hosts of God's hopeful presence. Won't you join us November 19th? We'll come together to contend for God's favor over our lives, families, church, and nation. Because we remember, God is still moved by the prayer of his people.